The Bible Study Podcast, episode 460. Today, the Bible Study Podcast finishes the study of Matthew 27. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. This is really going to be the heart of the gospel of Matthew today, today and next week. Today is talking about the crucifixion. So we're in Matthew 27, starting in verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. It's always interesting to see which of the stories from the crucifixion different gospel writers use. Matthew's account is, interestingly, matter-of-fact. It has little details, like they met a man from Cyrene called Simon. Simon, we believe, was an early Christian, that he was known to the people who were reading this because one of the other gospel writers mentions his kids' names, and that's probably why he's included here. Because of where he's from, we've always assumed that he is uh, black, although we really don't know much about him except for where he's from and his two kids' name. But he's pressed into carrying the cross. And so what this means is when you are crucified— The real point of crucifixion is that it's intended to be a deterrent. Whatever it is that you have done, and notice that Matthew says the two people who are on his left and right are rebels, the Romans want this to not happen again. And we know a lot about crucifixion because they did it a lot. When there was the Spartacus rebellion, the slave rebellion, they crucified over a thousand people over the course of a few days between Rome and one of the next cities. Basically, every few feet there was a cross and there was someone dying on it. And that's the idea is that it's supposed to take a while. It's intended to be torturous. It's intended to be public humiliation. And they start with you carry the cross. And, you, and you've seen pictures of Jesus carrying the cross. Probably more likely they carried the cross piece. And as Jesus, who has already been whipped and has already been up all night, is exhausted as he's falling on his face, probably as if he's unable to carry this, they get someone else to carry this to Golgotha, to the place where Jesus is to be crucified. They offer him wine wine to drink mixed with gall, and this would actually help with the pain, but Jesus refuses this. And then they divide his clothes because you are crucified naked. This isn't something that they show you in the crucifixes or in the paintings quite often, but it is intended to be humiliating. Again, it is intended to be something that other people won't do whatever caused this person to be on a cross. Remember, the cross we think of as a religious symbol, but it was 
a torture device. It was a form of execution. It seems really odd that we walk around with crosses. It, it would be like we were walking around with little pictures of electric chairs, that Jesus has overcome this torture device, this execution device. As Jesus is crucified, the way it works is your hands and feet are nailed, in Jesus' case, tied in some cases. And the idea with tying them is that it would make things take longer, that you are hanging on your arms and you are suffocating. And to get a breath, you need to push yourself up. In Jesus' case, everything that he says from the cross, and we get different writers include different pieces, he has to push himself up on the nail in his feet, which would be agonizing work just to get up to the point to take a breath. And any time he is saying something from the cross, he would have to do that. As he's hanging there in agony, people are mocking him. People are yelling insults at him. People are saying, show us that you're the son of God. Now, one thing that's very clear is it's very clear to everyone here that Jesus has claimed to be the son of God. And we need to remember that, that Jesus didn't claim to be a teacher. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. He is or he isn't. You can decide that for yourself, but there's a truth behind it. He either is or he isn't. And to the people who are standing here at the cross, they are thinking, well, of course he's not, because otherwise this wouldn't happen. What they don't understand is, of course he is, and that's exactly why this is happening. This is why he was sent. This is why he was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he knew that for the sin that separated us from God, a price had to be paid, and that price was death. And rather than have us pay that price, he chose to take our place. This is why Jesus came for these terrible, horrific hours. Continues on, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The body of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary the mother of Zebedee's sons. And so Jesus pushes himself up on the nail in his feet at one point as the darkness is coming over the lamb, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you're not familiar with Psalm 22, this would be a great opportunity to go and read that, where David basically is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there are things in Psalm 22 that are prophetic of this moment. There are things in there that are looking forward to, we believe, the crucifixion. And Jesus dies. And it's interesting, Matthew doesn't cover a lot of the the things that Jesus says from the cross that the other gospels do. But instead, he covers this moment here where the curtain of the temple is torn in two. 
Now remember, Matthew's audience is a Jewish audience, and they would have some understanding of what this might mean. The curtain of the temple covers the holiest of holies, the place that only the high priest can go into and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only after being covered with the blood of sacrifices. And basically that curtain is torn because Jesus with his death has opened the way between us and God. That barrier that protected us from the wrath of a righteous God is taken down because it is not needed anymore. The cost has been paid. And as he dies, there's an earthquake and and dead are coming to life, and there's all sorts of things. And one of the centurions who's been hearing people mock Jesus now for hours about if you are the Son of God, come down. If you are the Son of God, save yourself. If you are the Son of God. And he looks at this and sees all of this and says, surely he was the Son of God. He takes the very words that have been thrown at Jesus in mocking and sees them through the eyes of faith. And then it says also that many women were watching from a distance. So watching from a distance because it's dangerous to be associated with Jesus who is being executed. And they're the Marys, Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Mary the mother of James and John, Zebedee's sons. And I wonder if that second one there, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, that sounds like Mary the mother of Jesus because those are names of two of Jesus' brothers or half-brothers, brothers through Mary and Joseph. And then it continues, the burial of Jesus. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So, of all of the people who are have fled or who are watching from a distance, we get this Joseph of Arimathea who is only mentioned in the Gospels in this context, the one who takes Jesus' body and puts it in his own tomb. And yet it's the second bravest thing that's happening on this day. It's the one believer who comes up and says, I'm still associated with this Jesus. I still believe in this Jesus and takes the body and goes and lays it in a tomb, his tomb one that's been prepared for him. Now, of course, he didn't know it at the time, but it's still going to be available for him because Jesus really only needed a short-term rental. We'll get into that next week. The guard at the tomb, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. They're still a little bit afraid of Jesus. They think that he is dead and gone, but they're afraid that the disciples may at this point pretend that he has risen from the dead. And there's certainly some that have claimed that that's what the disciples did. If you look at what they went through themselves, if you look at what happens to them over the course of their lives and how many of them receive this same fate or something even worse, and yet none of them says, oh, wait, hang on, it was a hoax. They, with their own lives, testify that they believe that this Jesus, well, I was going to say is raised from the dead, but I'm getting ahead of the story. We'll talk about that next week. 
If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. I pray for you this week that you will understand the cost that was paid for you and for me. And thanks so much for listening. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry, your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus, so ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.